And what's happening, everybody? Welcome on in to the Check Your Brain podcast. Wherever you are listening to this, whether it's on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer for just three bucks a month, if you feel inclined to participate and, I don't know, patronize me on my Patreon. But if you're listening to this for free, I really do appreciate it. And hit the subscribe button, send a uh, nice message, five-star rating, whatever you want to do, and then you can pay me money on the side of Patreon. <laughs> What's going on? It's, uh, yes, it's Tony Mazur with you. That song is Jeff Beck. That song is called Beck's Bolero. And the reason I mention it, for a couple of reasons. One of them, it's notable that it has, you didn't really hear the drums and the bass there, but John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin is on bass, and uh, Keith Moon is on drums. So I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting super group. wonder what that would have been like. The other one is, uh, I had to mention it because Jeff Beck died this year. And Jeff Beck is, he died at the age of 78, and this is the Celebrity Death Podcast that I'm going to cover. Uh, to be honest, Jeff Beck, i he's one of those artists, those guitarists that I really appreciated his art, but I didn't care for his music. There's a lot of them that are, that are like that, where you say, it's just, they're an amazing guitarist, an amazing drummer, but... Yeah, not the biggest fan. I can't tell you a Jeff Beck song that I think stands out, or I've never stood in line at the record store going, hey, did you hear the new Jeff Beck album came out? Oh my god, you gotta hear this. And I realized he was with the Yardbirds and Jimmy Page and everything, but... And I, I guess he had been recruited to replace Sid Barrett, or they thought about wanting to recruit him in Pink Floyd when Sid Barrett was gone, and then in Rolling Stones. So... You wonder what the trajectory would be, but he decided to be solo up until earlier on this year when he passed away. This is the celebrity death portion of the Check Your Brain podcast, and so uh, if you're a new listener and haven't been checking this out for the last couple of years that I've been doing this, I'm an old radio guy. And usually when you get to this point in the year, you start covering the big stories of the year, celebrity deaths, the big sports news, the big politics news, whatever. And I've kind of continued that tradition on this podcast. It's nice to look back at the year that was, at least for me. Maybe not for you. Maybe next week you'll enjoy the sports podcast. I am going to do a sports one next week. And then finally, the final Wednesday, which these go out on Wednesday, the final Wednesday of the year will be the big wrap-up of the biggest news stories. So make sure you go check that out. Um, That's, again... Going out early in the morning on Wednesday, but if you're on Patreon, it's going to go out a day or two before then. So I know a lot of people would say, Tony, on your podcast, you rip on pop culture, you rip on Hollywood, you lampoon what's happening in our society, so why do you care about celebrity deaths? Well, there's a couple reasons. One of them, when I mention a few of these people, I've met a few of them, I've interviewed a couple of them, and takes a little bit out of you. You realize these people have been a part of your life for a long time, if not your entire life. And the other reason is, when these people go, who's replacing them at whatever whatever it is? And I'm mainly getting the most notable ones that I have seen this year. Who replaces a Norman Lear? You, you, well, I'll get into Norman Lear and talk about All in the Family and all of his shows later on in the podcast when I get to it, because I'm going to do this in chronological order, which is why I mentioned Jeff Beck first. He passed away at 78 on January 10th. That was the first notable death, although 
which I'll get to in next week's podcast, it almost could have been Damar Hamlin would have been the first notable death of 2023. But the uh, the whole thing when it comes to this is who replaces a Norman Lear? Who replaces a Raquel Welch? Who replaces Jerry Springer? And those elements of our culture are dying. And when those people come on board, like I may not be a Jon Stewart fan, but The Daily Show... Who replaces the... And you realize Trevor Noah did a pretty terrible job with The Daily Show. And now that Trevor Noah's gone, everybody else is doing an even worse job. So that's how I feel. That's why I'm bringing these up. Because then you remember them, then you watch what what and who has replaced them, and you say, okay, Tony, I get it. I totally get it. So uh, that was Jeff Beck passed away. I'm going to do these in chronological order, except for this one. I, uh, last week when I'm recording this, by the way, there could be huge deaths, celebrity deaths by the time the end of the year. I'm recording this podcast on December 11th. So who knows what the rest of the year is going to be, but I figured I would do this today because there were some notable ones in uh, recent memory. But, uh, if you were a fan of the Howard Stern show, there was a, uh, there was Ralph Sorella who Ralph uh, couldn't stand his laugh, was not a big fan of Ralph. And uh, I, I think as far as the Howard Stern universe, most people were not a big Ralph fan. But he was a good friend of Howard's. He helped do a lot of the makeup and prosthetics. And there were a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of, um, shall we say, there were there were some gay rumors. I'm not that uh, allegedly, allegedly for anybody listening right now, alleged gay rumors. But that's all I'm saying. And uh, and he had passed away. And the one thing about doing a eulogy for former coworkers, I know. Howard did a very emotional one about Ralph when he had passed away, but certain other people, some people would step it up and who worked around Sirius, who worked back in the day, who had met Ralph, and they, they're they like, oh, you know, he's a great guy, you know, we, we may have had our issues, but, you know, he's a great guy, he's a great friend of Howard, great for, great for the show, blah, blah, blah. Except there was a gentleman named Stuttering John Melendez, who is no fan of uh, this very podcaster, Tony Mazur, who has blocked me on Twitter, and <laughs> I went on his show. If you want to go check that out, I think it's on YouTube still. Me as a guest on, as, as I think the second guest on the Return of the Stuttering John Dabble Show. <laughs> Jesus, what, what is going on? And by the way, this podcast is going to have a little bit of language, so if you're here with the kids, probably put this on the headphones instead of putting it on the car when the kids are coming to school. Here is Stuttering John, the disgraced, well, he's just disgraced in general, but disgraced former member of the Howard Stern Whack Pack universe. He was the former phone screener who doesn't, I stutter more than Stuttering John does now. Here is his eulogy to Ralph, good old Stut Joe. Here he is. A baby. And I Googled Ralph Sorella. And the first thing I saw was Ralph Sorella, a bitch, But I can't say I'm sad about it, though. He was always a pretty much a, a bad person. He didn't make a lot of friends. Part of that is because he was a rat. He wasn't well liked. I'm just all the horrible things he said about me. And I think a lot of times Ralph chose to be an asshole. That there were good times that we had. He went shopping for me for some clothes. If Artie died, we would all be. Then I would cry. You know, if Jackie passed away, I think everybody would be sad. I don't know about being gay. There was always, oh, is Ralph gay? I, I'm pretty sure he was with some scores 
strippers. Ralph, uh, rest in peace. You know what they say, always speak ill of the dead. I didn't. I thought I gave, like, like just like Sodomy says, very touching tribute. I think I did a good job. I, some usually, no one know everyone hates you. Well, look, I did my best. Paul, John, will you die soon from alcoholism? No one will mourn. Fine. Dick 89, John, you've been using line route for 10 minutes, and the only nice thing you said is that he probably wasn't fully gay. Best eulogy ever. Really, Dicka? That's the only thing nice I said? I didn't say he was he was great on the air. I didn't say that he was he was a shit stirrer. I didn't say that we hung out and had great times. I didn't say that my ex-wife was very upset and that Karen was very upset. What the fuck is wrong with you? Rest in peace to Ralph. <laughs> According to stuttering John Melendez. What an asshole stuttering John is. This is why nobody... I can't tell... I, 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 I hate starting the podcast like this because I wanted to talk about other things, but, God, this dabble verse and being somewhat adjacent to it. I'm not fully in about Tukey and everything. By the way, if, if anybody who doesn't know about what's going on and the whole stuttering John and Greg Opie Hughes and, uh, you know, Cardiff Electric, the potato, if you don't know what it is, it, be lucky. Be lucky you don't know anything about who Kevin Brennan or any of this Misery Loves Company universe. D- don't even don't even check it out. It's not, it's not worth it anymore. But I can't think of one person who's like, God, that's Stuttering John. He's a good... I was supposed to open for Stuttering John many years ago, and the show got canceled. And he said, oh, it was a, it was a medical situation. Medical situation. Or, or was it the fact that three people bought tickets at the venue? Anyways, rest in peace to Ralph. According, thank you to Stuttering John. So again, that he had uh, Ralph died on December sixth. So the rest of the podcast here is going to be in chronological order from the beginning of the year after the Jeff Jeff Beck passing. So I'm going to go through these. I'm going to try to run through them, but give some factoids about people that I think you might be kind of interesting. Maybe you forgot they had died. And by the way, if I forgot anybody that was of note that would be worth it to the podcast, make sure you tw- you tweet at me at Tony Mazer. I'm on Instagram. On you can find me anywhere. It's pretty pretty easy to find me, especially if you're a former boss who wants to get me fired. <laughs> uh, January twelfth, Lisa Marie Presley passed away, and uh, that's the one thing about Lisa Marie. I, I just like Jeff Beck. I couldn't tell you a Lisa Marie song. I couldn't tell you one thing she did that was, was uh, like, anything. I mean, she was married to Michael Jackson, and she was Elvis's granddaughter. Or Elvis's daughter, I should say. That's about it. I couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. Uh, Lisa, if, like, you played a Lisa Marie song, or if I played a Lisa Marie song, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you that. Um... So then, uh, in the world of music, uh, on January 18th, we lost David Crosby. Oh, by the way, Lisa Marie was 54. David Crosby, 81. I have seen David Crosby before. Here's him performing in the, actually, the year I saw him, 2018, with Jason Isbell, the Ohio song.
Yeah, so David Crosby, who I've seen him a couple of times. I've met him. I actually worked a couple of shows that uh, he was performing at in Kent, Ohio, weirdly enough, the where the Four Dead in Ohio took place. And what's interesting about David Crosby's career, uh, it, you know, I'm not trying to do a stuttering John, but he pissed a lot of people off. And it was kind of interesting when he passed that there were a lot of people who kind of remember him from the days of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but that those days were long gone. And there was he had a very checkered history. There was one time he got caught with drugs and a gun in the car back in the eighties. He was free basing cocaine. I think he almost set his hair on fire. Again, another Michael Jackson reference. And when one of the cops pulled him over, this story was like, you know, David, why do you have a gun? And he's like, John Lennon, man. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess. But uh, I got to say, though, when I have seen him live, and he was an old man at the time, and hearing him talk about Dwight Eisenhower in a positive note, because he was setting up talking about uh, the Nixon years and Kissinger, and we'll get to Kissinger a little bit later in the podcast because he also passed this week, this year. And he was talking about Dwight Eisenhower and his final speech warning of the military-industrial complex. Interestingly enough, boy, are we fully into it, especially when our big political candidates on both sides of the party are fully invested and fully supported by the said military-industrial complex. But gosh, David Crosby could put together a hell of a band. And not just Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but his solo group. He would be he would tour the country with David Crosby and friends. And his band was outstanding. In fact, I think his drummer was David Gilmore's drummer when he would take him on the road. So lost the the Cros at the age of 81. A couple others in January here to mention Sal Bando who was born just up the road from me from Cleveland, great, uh, I think he played with the Kansas City A's, and then he went over to the Oakland A's, won those World Series. He was raised in Warrensville Heights, which is where um, Arsenio Hall is from. Billy Packer lost him at 82 on uh, January the 26th. Bobby Hall at 84. Played, of course, with the Chicago Blackhawks, a little bit with the Winnipeg Jets. Finished his career almost by the time his son, Brett Hall, was about to play. And he played for the Hartford Whalers, which is weird. I actually almost want to get a Bobby Hall Hartford Whalers shirt. But, yeah, there were some there's some issues with him. <laughs> there's some issues with Bobby Hall, some domestic violence allegations, some very credible ones then. He apparently said Hitler didn't do bad things, or uh, Hitler wasn't a bad guy at first. He just went, went about things the wrong way. And I know, I know, not, not, not really good in today's modern world to say stuff like that. Let's move to, to February, when a gentleman by the name of Burt Bacharach had passed away. Going into the ninth inning, the tri- Sorry, whoop, that's a... Another clip. What happened to my thing? Let's try this here. A chair is still a chair. Even when there's no one sitting there. Oh, but a chair is not a house. And a house is not a home. When there's no one there. You hold it tight, and no one there you can kiss 
I'd say House is Not a Home, uh, a duet with Dusty Springfield, a song that eventually Luther Vandross made very popular. Uh, Burt Bacharach, 94 years old, and I think it was another example of, I think Tony has killed Burt Bacharach because I had just mentioned him either that morning or the night before. And I texted my wife, and I'm like, oh, guess who died? It was Burt Bacharach. Wrote some classic songs, of course, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.J. Thomas, They Long to Be Close to You, The Carpenters, Arthur's Theme with Christopher Cross, That's What Friends Are For, Dionne Warwick. He won six Grammys, three Oscars, and one Emmy. Yet we couldn't get him a Tony. We wanted Burt Bacharach so bad to get that EGOT, but we lost him at 94. Um, and that is on uh, February the 8th. Uh, the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th, I had mentioned her earlier, Raquel Welch. My arms when I dance, that's my signature. <laughs> Would you just keep an eye out for this woman? She's about, I don't know, yay high, and uh, she doesn't swing her arms when she walks. What do you mean? Like this. <laughs> What the hell is that? Are you making fun of my dancing? Aren't you Raquel Welch? You know who I am. Now, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. I just wasn't moving my arms. <laughs> That's it. You're going down. Ooh, cat fight. Yes, at 82, Raquel Welch, who uh, turned a lot, who got a lot of baby boomers through puberty, I think, back in the day. And then I remembered she was on the episode of The Muppets, The Muppet Show, and she was dancing with a spider, and she was wearing some cavewoman outfit. And I remembered watching that as a kid and kind of going, I think I'm supposed to like this. I think this might be pretty good to <laughs> down the road. But yeah, she uh, kind of... It was almost like what what Shannon Doherty eventually did is embracing the fact that she was a little bit difficult to work with at one time. And so she did that by the 90s. She's famously difficult to work with, and they decided to parody it with her on Seinfeld. So uh, that was Raquel Welch, 82 years old. Uh, we also lost Tim McCarver this year at 81, also uh, in February. Now, here are my thoughts on Tim McCarver. He kept getting jobs, and I couldn't tell you why. He played for a number of years with the St. Louis Cardinals, I believe won a World Series with them, and he, he became a broadcaster for the New York Mets, and was I think he was paled, uh, paired with uh, Ralph Kiner, I believe, back in the day. I could be wrong, if correct me, Mets fans. And then he went national. He did ABC. He was there at the... Um, the, the earthquake game in 1989, and then he moves over to CBS and is paired with Jack Buck and later Sean McDonough. I'm not going to get into Sean McDonough. i got a couple of stories about that. Uh, and then goes over to Fox. So it's like he's the main guy, but I can't tell you why. Tim McCarver never said anything interesting. Never. I, 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 okay. I know I'm sounding like stuttering John, right? I'm just shitting on everybody who passed away. But no, I'm just I'm just saying I just thought it was interesting. Why is Tim McCarver always getting these jobs? Well, he's always known now. I think when people mention him is the issue with him and Dion Sanders. Now, Dion in nineteen ninety one worked something out in his contract when he was playing for the Atlanta Braves 
that he would play with the Braves until football season, but then after that, he had to report to Falcons camp. And which kind of sucked for the Braves because they didn't have another outfielder when Otis Nixon was suspended for doing too much nose candy. And they needed another speedster. So by 1992, the deal was reworked where he would actually play both sports. He'd play for the Braves and the Falcons. And that Jerry Glanville, the head coach of the the Falcons, he wasn't happy about it, but it got the Falcons a lot of exposure, and the Braves were really good in the early 90s. And there was that game where Dion flew to Miami to play both sides of the ball for the Falcons that took a helicopter and flew up to Pittsburgh to face the Pirates, the Braves and the Pirates in the 92 NLCS, though he didn't play that night. Bobby Cox didn't play him. And Tim McCarver uh, famously or infamously came out and said Dion was being selfish for trying to play two sports. I, is that selfish? I mean, I, I'm failing to see why that would be considered selfish. Campaign in a championship locker room. Broadcasters never like it. It burns, it smells, it ruins your clothes. Last night, Deion Sanders, apparently upset with Tim McCarver's criticisms of his two-sport day last Sunday, felt like he would gain a measure of revenge, not with champagne, but by dousing McCarver with four tubs of ice water. McCarver was furious. So was CBS Sports. Rick Gentile, their uh, producer, complained to National League President Bill White last night. McCarver wants a meeting with White as soon as he can get one. And after this confrontation, Tim McCarver confronted Sanders. So, obviously passive-aggressive there, but uh, I think both were in the wrong there. Dion was being a baby. Yeah, okay, he, he's mad about it, but uh, so what? It's a broadcaster. Broadcasters say a lot of shit over time. It, it, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, yeah, he's criticizing you. How about you just focus on yourself? But then... McCarver saying it was selfish that Dion would play both sports. For what? I mean, yeah, I guess for his own ego, but Dion was... Here's why I always tell younger people when they're interested in these two-sport athletes that are long gone. Even Russell Wilson played minor league baseball. Jameis Winston played minor league baseball. But they're not going to make it to the pros. The closest we will get to a two-sport athlete is Shohei Otani who pitches and hits. Although with this Dodger contract, I don't think he's going to be pitching. Not not anytime soon. Although that deal they worked out. I, I'll mention that in the sports podcast next week. Anyways. But uh, the two-sport athlete thing, people need to remember about Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, is that Bo Jackson could have been a Hall of Fame football player it, playing as a bruising running back. But as a hitter... He had one really solid season in 1989. He can hit about 30 home runs, and he would strike out about 200 times a year. He would hit about 250, which wasn't that great for the time. Uh, now, if you hit 250, you, ba- you basically get a $70 million a year contract. But uh, but yeah, he wasn't the greatest baseball player. Dion was an incredible cover corner and, uh, and dual threat kick returner, punt returner. They put him on offense sometimes. But as a baseball player, he was uh, he was all right. He was a speedster. He can blaze up the... He could hit a couple of triples every so often, although he did have a very, very good World Series. He would have been the MVP if the Braves pulled that out against the Blue Jays. But 
he was he was okay. He was an okay ball player. But I just thought that was kind of interesting that Tim McCarver did that. Okay, I got to start plowing through these. I'm getting too long because I'm only in February right now. Uh, Richard Belzer died at 78 back on February 19th. My dad hated Richard Belzer. I don't know why. Tom Sizemore, very troubled actor, apparently beat on Heidi Fleiss when they were dating. Although Heidi Fleiss, uh, yeah, her and Tom Sizemore broke up, and then she started dating Dennis Hoff the rest of Dennis Hoff's life. And Dennis Hoff went out in a true blaze of glory, though he died a few years ago, and I actually got to know Dennis Hoff a little bit from the Bunny Ranch. He died with Heidi Fleiss and Ron Jeremy at his side while he was drunk. I think he was doing a bunch of coke, just had this massive friggin' hard-on from Viagra. It's like, look, is that how you want to go? Probably. (laughs) Probably. Uh, Robert Blake at 89, he was speaking of people abusive to women. Um, Robert Blake, great theme song, by the way, from Beretta. Little Sammy Davis Jr. I was finding it interesting that uh, Robert Blake was actually a member of our gang from 1939 to 1944, although I don't know if I remembered him. I remember the really, really early Hal Roach, our gang, the pre-Spanky and Alfalfa and Darla days, that there was there were a couple of the others. There was um, Chubsy Lubsy, and it, boy, they had some rough lives. They had some really rough life. Alfalfa, uh, who, who I think he didn't, didn't he get shot or stabbed? He was returning a dog or thought he wanted a reward or something like that. And they all had such terrible lives. But Robert Blake lived to be 89. He was in Little Rascals back in the day. So, uh, yeah, obviously very troubled if you really look into him. Bud Grant at 90. We lost a lot of old people this year. Bud Grant on March 11th died at 95. The former great Minnesota Vikings head coach here who was a real man. He was. You want to talk about a real man? In his, I mean, I think he was almost 90 and he's walking out into sub-zero temperatures without long sleeves or a jacket. And you say it's cold? <laughs> Don't tell that to former Vikings coach Bud Grant. Yeah, well, the Vikings lost the game yesterday. Grant won the internet when he showed his stuff at 88 years old in six below weather at kickoff and 25 below wind chill. Oh, man, look at this. Grant gave his coat to an NFL employee and said, Would you hold this for me, kid? I want to show him how a Viking feels about this weather as he went out to be the honorary captain for the coin toss. Yeah, everyone else was full in winter gear. Grant, his short sleeve polo was just fine. Thank you very much. The great pictures and memes, uh, a lot of them went nuts yesterday. Okay, yeah. So uh, Bud Grant, which that was, I think, in that brief period where the Vikings had to play outside until their stadium was done, which is weird because you say, oh, he's a real man. But the Vikings played for how many years <laughs> in a dome stadium? They, they haven't been at the Met, which I believe is the site of the Mall of America, since the early 80s, which is basically since last time Bud Grant was coaching. But yeah, that, you want to talk about a real man with cojones walking out in sub-zero temperature? Like, yeah, kid, here, have my, have my jacket. I don't need it right now. Uh, 95 years old Bud Grant. 
Uh, Joe Pepitone lost him at 82 back on March 13th. Then on March 14th, one of my favorite blue-eyed soul artists... It's a great tune. I always uh, remember this song with, um, I was in a car with a comedian from uh, Cobra Kai, Brett Ernst, and we're, we're, we're just driving around, and he's going through my, my iPod or whatever, and he's like, dude, you got Bobby Caldwell? And we started listening to Bobby Caldwell, What You Won't Do For Love. One hit wonder, but I guess the story with Bobby Caldwell is the radio stations and the record company kept him silhouette silhouetted if that's a word on the cover because he was really appreciated by black r&b radio and and fans and when they found out he was white they almost abandoned him so that's kind of interesting but uh they tried to keep the fact that he's this white dude this blue-eyed soul white dude who's doing this music that a lot of black people liked and when they found out he was white they're like "Mm, okay i guess I guess I, I guess we'll like that. So, yeah, we lost him. He was 71 years old. Uh, March 21st, Willis Reed lost him at 80, the great uh, New York Nick. April 10th, Al Jaffe. I was a longtime fan of uh, Mad Magazine until, of course, they lost their minds. Mad stopped being funny, stopped being interesting, mainly after when Bill Gaines, the creator, died in 1992. But... They had always had for many, for I think 60 years, maybe 70 years, they had the it, the mad fold-in. Now, what was that? Well, Playboy had the fold-out, the, you know, the centerfold. So you would fold the magazine out and you would get this poster of some buxom blonde or whatever. So mad, because they were mad, did the mad fold-in. So you folded the back portion, the back cover of your magazine in and Al Jaffe, who died at 102, we lost a lot of a lot of you know <laughs> over over 100 centurions, 102 years old. He was an engineer by trade. And what the Mad fold in was, it was a picture. Then you fold it to where it's supposed to be, and then it turns into another picture. So I, it's hard to explain when I'm doing an audio podcast, but go look up the Mad fold in and kind of see the story. Or I. I can't tell you to go buy a Mad Magazine, but go for it. It would always be funny when you would see someone who would do the Mad Fold-In at the grocery store and fold their magazine, and you're like, oh, what the hell, man? I didn't buy this yet. Don't fold don't fold everybody's magazines in when I haven't gotten it yet. Um, then, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, and uh, April 25th, there was Harry Belafonte, another one, almost 100 years old. He was 96 when he died. Of course, everyone remembers... Uh, the Banana Boat song, Deo. This one everyone remembers from the Beetlejuice movie. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body liner. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora. Work your body liner. Work, 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 Sonora. Work it all the time. 
Yes, yeah, so that, that scene, of course, from Beetlejuice that had Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones, had, uh, I think, Robert Goulet and Dick Cavett were a part of it, which is, that's a weird, weird group of uh, group of folks there. But, uh, yeah, Harry Belafonte, longtime activist as well, died at 96. Then we lost somebody that I actually got to know briefly for, for a little period of time. And full disclosure, I knew his publicist because his publicist was from Cleveland, and so I got to know her. I'm a Facebook friends with her, and uh, I won't say her name, but uh, Jerry Springer, 79 years old. Here's him talking about his show. Now, for I'll, I'll get into it. We'll talk about why he does he did the show that he was doing. Stop talking, mistake. Talk. People know me because of the show. And our show is as silly, crazy, outrageous, sometimes as stupid as you can get. I was hired to be a ringleader of a circus. I am hosting a show about outrageousness. Why do you want to run a circus? It's a lot of fun. It's a great job. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, Jerry, I got this job. You're on television an hour a day. You know, it'll be the number one show in America. You'll meet the most interesting, fascinating, crazy people you've ever met in your life. The stories are just wild. You know, plus, we'll pay you handsomely. Would you honestly say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm taking the job at the library. I, maybe it requires yeah, special talent. It. Most guys I know couldn't. I couldn't do that. I think yes, I, you can. I fall Anybody down can. laughing. Anyone I, can I'm do gone what I in do. the first minute. Stop talking. So that's uh, Jerry Springer. Yeah, like I said, I got to know him a little bit towards, towards the end. I was trying to book him on this podcast, and I had gotten a little communique that he wasn't doing very well. They're like, ah, he's not doing interviews right now. Like, Jerry always does interviews. He's always at shows. He had that Judge Jerry show a couple of years ago. And then when I found out, maybe it was two months later, maybe three months later, and found out that he had died, I'm like, okay, yep, that makes sense. Um, Jerry Springer was, of course, I think everybody remembers him as a one-time mayor of Cincinnati. But he started doing his own political show. It was like a political roundtable show. And it took off locally and the early Jerry version of the Jerry Springer show was a political roundtable. Or it was, it was kind of like at the time, you had Morton Downey Jr., you had Phil Donahue. It was, it was essentially like doing what Phil Donahue was doing. And then in 1994 is when they decided to revamp things and start doing just completely trash television, which is what it became and became a cultural moment. So Jerry Springer says, wouldn't you do that? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I have a little bit more, I have some standards. I have some standards and credibility and values. So uh, yeah, even if you're floating that kind of money, I'm not going to do a show like that, me personally. Uh, May 6th, Vita Blue, uh, another classic uh, Bay Area legend. The pitcher died at the age of 73. Another athlete died in May was Jim Brown. And Jim Brown, who, another one that I've, I didn't get to know him, but I met him a couple of times in my dealings with uh, working in Cleveland media for a long time and covering Browns games. Jim Brown, here he is, one of his most classic scenes, not on the football field, in the movie Mars Attack. Ack, 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 ack. 
I gotta watch Mars Attacks again. I want to see if it holds up. I remember it was so absurd at the time, but uh, it might still be absurd. But uh, Jim Brown, uh, arguably the greatest football player, one of the greatest lacrosse players of all time too, but greatest football player. And he was, uh, you just watch some of the video. It's He was a video game. It was a human video game of his time, just running over everybody. He was a, he was a fullback. He wasn't a halfback. He wasn't a running back. He was a fullback plowing through everybody, had blazing speed for his time. And Jim Brown, when he retired, he retired abruptly because the new owner, the newish owner of the Browns, Art Modell, had required him to go to report to camp. So I'm not making exceptions. I don't care who you are. And he's like, well, uh, no, I'm not. I'm filming a movie. And they said, well, you better be at camp. He's like, then I retire. And that was it for Jim Brown. He retired because... I think he was filming The Dirty Dozen, and Art Modell wanted him at camp, and he said, no, I'm not going to, I'm Jim Brown, I can do whatever I want, and Art Modell is like, I don't care who you are, and then we never got to see Jim Brown on the football field again, although it almost happened, so I, he ends up getting into a lot of those black exploitation movies in the 70s, and uh, kind of parodying himself later in the 80s with, I'm going to get you, sucker." that classic scene of Chris Rock who walks into the diner with Isaac Hayes. He's like, I want one rib. One order of ribs. No, no, no. I want one rib. <laughs> one rib? <laughs> I should have played that one instead. Um, but uh, but Jim Brown, yeah, he, he did his four-way, foray into acting. But in the early 80s, now Jim Brown, before Walter Payton broke his, his career rushing record, there was another player that he was not a fan of that almost was was close to breaking. It was Franco Harris. And Franco was not the kind of running back that Jim Brown liked. He was not the guy who fought for the extra yard. He would go out of bounds. And he threatened to come out of retirement to play for the then Los Angeles Raiders if Franco Harris was going to be in putting his rushing record in jeopardy. Now, Franco, I think he played like maybe a season more with the Steelers and finished with the Seahawks and uh, never actually broke the record. But a running back he did enjoy, which was Walter Payton, did eventually break his record and he was fine with it. But he had th- Jim Brown had threatened to come out of retirement. It, it was like 15 years after he had suited up. And he's like, I'll, I'll go again as long as Franco Harris doesn't break my record. And I actually wonder what he would have been like on that Raider team in the early 80s. The uh, I think it was Marcus Allen around that time, too. Um, so, yeah, Jim Brown. And, uh, yeah, again, I, 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 I know all the stories. There were a lot of issues. He got arrested a couple of times. There were some things of the Howard Johnson in downtown Cleveland. You can look them up on your own. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to get through this podcast a little bit. Um, Tina Turner lost her this You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice. Easy. There's just one thing. You see, we never, ever do nothing. little proud Mary there, Tina Turner, and Tina and Ike, actually, in those days, which I think that version much better than John Fogarty and CCR. She died at 83. Uh, a couple others, Iron Sheik, June 7th, died at 81. The Iron Sheik from Tehran, Iran. 
Pat Robertson, 93. People had their fun with Pat Robertson and him dying. There was a, there was a funny Family Guy thing where it's just... After the rapture, it's just nothing but Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson making out. <laughs> Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, Ted, Uncle Ted, lost him at 81 this year. Here's a news report on his death from earlier in uh, June. Ted Kaczynski, the convicted terrorist known as a Unabomber, died by suicide. That's according to the Associated Press and the New York Times. The 81-year-old was found dead in his cell yesterday at a federal prison medical center in North Carolina. He was given life-saving measures, but pronounced dead at the hospital. Kaczynski was serving a life sentence following his conviction for numerous mail and university bombings, which went on from 1978 to 1995. Those bombings killed three people and injured nearly two dozen others. It's funny how that story kind of went away really quick. How does an 81-year-old man commit suicide? I mean, does he have terminal cancer and he figured he would end it? Where are the cameras? There's a lot of funny funny business that's going on in that so uh, if you really want to look up the manifesto i'm not going to do it i'm not gonna do it on this podcast there have been people who have i can i guess maybe on my patreon sometime but uh very uh very interesting stuff i'll just leave it at that because i don't want people protesting my well i don't give i don't care if you protest my podcast or whatever uh june uh, that was on june 10th uh, uncle ted passed away we uh, we miss we miss you, Uncle Ted. <laughs> Treat Williams uh, lost him at seventy one. I think he got into a car accident or if, uh, something horrible. I I don't remember what it was, but he was um he was he was actually kind of a cool actor at one time and very attractive. I think he was on the set of was it Star Wars or something where all the women were like really attracted to treat Williams. And he ended up going into a lot of the Hallmark movies where he would be the dad, the divorced dad or whatever. So he made a nice career there. Alan Arkin, another, another one, 89 years old, lost him this year. Here's a clip from a movie that I, I, I don't think it gets its props. And that's the in-laws with him and Peter Falk. I was very impressed. Honey, do you have a check? Listen, let me ask you about that picture. What did, what did that inscription mean? At least we tried. Bay of Pigs. I referred to the Bay of Pigs. You were involved with the Bay of Pigs? Involved? That was my idea. I'll get this show. The Bay of Pigs. You win some, you lose some. Listen, you want to be home in about an hour? Why? I want to make sure we get that engraving out of your house. What engraving? Last night, I thoughtlessly left one in your basement. An engraving from the bag? In my haste. In my basement? Why are you getting so excited? Why am I getting so excited? The central piece of evidence of the biggest federal crime since the atomic spy case is sitting in my basement. You want to know why I'm getting excited? Go back to your lunches. Do I not have in your business? I want that thing out of my house. Charlie, I'm getting to that. Sit down, finish. It's a, it really is kind of a classic movie because... The genesis of the movie is that both of them approached Andrew Bergman and said, hey, we would love to do a movie together. And Andrew Bergman said, wait, you guys haven't been in a movie together? You guys are best friends. So they said, yeah, we want to do a movie. Can you write us something? So he writes The In-Laws, and it becomes a classic. <laughs> they basically just barged down his door and says, let's do a movie. Write us a movie. And it became a, a, a classic. And then they did the one with, who is it? Uh, 
Michael Douglas and um, I, I don't who else, who was that the in laws in the in the two thousands again everything that they try to bring back and recreate just turns to garbage. Uh, Tony Bennett ninety six we lost him in, on uh, July twenty first. Uh, then this one, which was kind of surprising for a lot of people because she she was very young but also very troubled, and you're talking about a a, a woman that was. Had a, it was a one-hit wonder, and it wasn't even her song. It was Sinead O'Connor at 56. It's a Prince song. She had the shaved head, which I made the Jim Norton joke uh, on Twitter. It got went super viral for whatever reason. Um, but Sinead was uh, uh, very troubled, and she was looking into her activism, but also she didn't really think too much about her home life either. And it's weird because she became a weird—she really did like was not a fan of being a sex symbol. Because she wasn't. She clearly wasn't the sexiest person in the world. But that video of her with the close-up, she has such a cute face. Very cute. And of course, when Hollywood and when the music industry wants to sink their teeth in, they say, well, let's exploit this. And she's like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to keep my shaved head. I'm going to do this and get a bunch of tattoos and have... I, I don't know, but very, very sad. 56 years old, Sinead O'Connor lost her this year. Then we go to a couple of days later, Paul Rubens. <laughs> hey, hey, Cherry. <laughs> um, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens uh, died. Kind of like Norm MacDonald. He had quietly been, uh, have, he had cancer for a long time and it, it passed away and only told a couple of people. The character of Pee Wee Herman was created in the Groundlings and co-created by Phil Hartman. If you really want to look up who a true Renaissance man could have been, was, but could have been even more so, was Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was a graphic designer and he designed the covers for Steely Dan's Asia, uh, an America album, and the classic Poco Horse. So if you know, ooh, ooh, crazy love, he did the, it was a very simplistic drawing, but sometimes that, you know, b being very simple really worked there. And he designed that. It was Phil Hartman. And then he wanted to get into doing some kind of improv. He went to see the Groundlings, and they're like, uh, do, you, do you want to be a part of it? And that's how he met Paul Rubens and helped create this character, Pee Wee Herman. And Pee Wee, the background of, of it was strange because if you watch the early HBO special and what Pee Wee's Playhouse and the movies became, it's not, it's almost not the same character, but they developed, they, they gave him an opportunity to grow. But Pee Wee was, was like a child who was trying to do bad stand up. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> but he. But then, you know, the, the character really took off. But for somebody like Paul Rubens, he had done a bunch of stuff in his career and wanted to do more. And the 1991 arrest in Sarasota where he's beaten off in the porno theater. And 
he could have gotten away with it. He offered the cops, he said, I'll do a free show for the kids and stuff. Let's, let's not let this get out here. Because he had been away. A, a lot of the stuff that he had filmed for Pee Wee's Playhouse was banked. So he grew his hair out and grew his beard. So it's one of the classic mugshots. It's it's probably up there with the Nick Nolte mugshot. And somebody with the police department leaked it to the press and saying, uh, Paul Rubens, isn't that the Pee Wee Herman guy? And then America, for whatever reason, turned their back on on him because he went to a porno theater to masturbate. And, he, and, then, and then he goes out on stage as Pee-wee goes, Heard any good jokes lately? <laughs> and he eventually made his comeback. He was in that Mystery Men movie. He had a great part in Blow. And then eventually does Pee-wee Herman again. But he was typecast. But early on, he was doing other acting, like him having a quick cameo at the, in Blues Brothers. Give us a bottle of your finest champagne, five shrimp cocktails, and some bread for my brother. We have a Dom Perignon, 71 at $120. That'll be fine, pal. Hey, come on, seriously, you guys. The food here is really expensive. The soup is fucking $10. Come on, let's go outside. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Soup is $10? In 1980? Goodness. Soup is uh, $10 right now. At a normal place. If you went to TGI Fridays, you get a $10 soup. Gotta love inflation. But yes, Paul Rubens, 70 years old. Uh, I'm plowing through these now. August 26, Bob Barker just missed the 100 year. He was 99. Make sure to spay and neuter your pets. Um, then a couple of days later, one of the boomers, one of the great boomer boomers of all time, I don't like a lot of Jimmy Buffett's music, but I do like that song, Come Monday. Uh, yeah, uh, September 1st, Jimmy Buffett had died at the age of, what was he, 70, 76. And I've been to Key West. Um, what's interesting about Margaritaville, like the, the, so what we know of it now, where there's hotels, there's restaurants, I've been to, I've, weirdly enough, I have a Margaritaville in Cleveland, Ohio, just a few miles up the road from where I'm, broad, where, where I'm broadcasting. I've never been to that one, but I've been to Margaritaville's in Key West, the original, or I should say the original Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, because there were other Margaritaville's. He did not have a patent on that name. So the Margaritaville that we know is actually called Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. And there's others. I know one in Sandusky, Ohio, not far from Cedar Point, the amusement park, is the original Margaritaville because they went through a whole lawsuit. And uh, But I, I've been to uh, the grand opening of the Margaritaville in Myrtle Beach. I was at one in Nashville, right on Broadway. They have a Jimmy Buffett. When you think of Nashville, Tennessee, you think of what? Cheeseburgers in paradise, right? <laughs> <laughs> you you think of the lost shaker of salt but we we went there because we were with a group who wanted some food and i'm like all right of all places we're gonna go here i would rather go to the food truck outside with some burnt ends and some nashville barbecue instead here we are in the chain restaurant um but it originally started jimmy was not much of anything in the 80s and he was down in key west and he had helped 
co-start a cargo hold. Margaritaville was not a restaurant. It was a t-shirt place. Like if you ever if you've ever been to Key West, kind of like Hilton Head, uh, every 3 feet there's another t-shirt place. And that's what they were doing with Key West back in the day with J- Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville and that's how it started and it really took off by the 90s along with all the other themed restaurants like Hard Rock Cafe and Planet Hollywood. But yeah, poor one out for the boomers who are upset about Jimmy Buffett. Lost him at 76. A couple of days later, we actually lost a, a few musicians over the same weekend. Steve Hartwell of Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth gets openly mocked and parodied nowadays that it's considered stupid, it's considered low class. I have seen Smash Mouth before. I have seen Steve Hartwell on stage with his Jinko jeans shorts and his flame, like his uh, like Guy Fieri. He looked like Guy Fieri, really. And it was, uh, was it a bucket list show? No. Was it a show that I thought was outstanding where I had to record it and thought, I mean, this is the greatest show I've ever been to? No. But could I say that I saw Smash Mouth, who are still touring, by the way? Understand, there. I don't think there's one original member of Smash Mouth that is touring with them now. I think Steve pissed a lot of people off over time, and he had to get a new session and touring musicians with him. But, uh, yeah, ugh. he had retired because he had been a brutal, brutal alcoholic, and it had been shutting down his internal organs, which is how he ended up passing at 56 years old. Here he is fighting with people. And actually, and when I say this, I mean, he is yelling at people and like wanting people to fight him at a show about eight, nine years ago. And somebody said this is kind of par for the course for a Smash Mouth show, that uh, he would frequently get too drunk. He would make out with a girl on stage then he'd get even more drunk and then he would want to fight with people. <laughs> you throw one more piece of shit on fucking stage, I'm going to come find your ass, I'm going to beat your ass, whoever the fuck you are out there, okay? You want to be a badass? Come up here, come on. Walk your badass up here, come on. Come on stage. Come on stage, badass, come on. Come on stage. Bring your ass off stage, you're almost throwing shit at me. I will tell you right now, I will beat the fuck out of you, okay? You're a pussy punk bitch, okay? You're ruining the show for thousands of people right now. Because I'm gonna walk off stage, and guess what? You're paying for it, motherfucker, okay? The funniest part about this, actually there's two funny parts. One of them is, they're clearly doing the all-star song. And the band has to continue. I've been to a lot of concerts where the lead singer is going on some kind of rant or he's yelling at the crowd or he's talking about how much this song means to him or he's just ranting about something. And the band is still playing the same or he's trying to break up a fight in the crowd. There's a mosh pit and someone gets it or pushes a girl. Uh, And I've been to plenty of those shows where the band is still playing the same riff and the poor drummer has to just do, do, do. Do do do, and then the bassist and do, and still doing the All Star song, and they have to continue it. They're not going to stop, so they're going to like, all right, he's going to wrap this up. But the other part is he l- legitimately wants to jump into the crowd and fight people, 
Aaron Lewis of Stained has said this, where he's yelled into the audience like, I'm going to kick your ass one more time. You do, he just will start yelling, but he's not going to do it. He's just threatening, and then they bring security over, and they take care of the guy who's throwing beer on stage. The funny part about Steve R. Hartwell from Smash Mouth is he legitimately wanted to jump into the crowd, and security didn't stop the guy from throwing stuff. They stopped the Smash Mouth lead singer from jumping into the crowd to kick the guy's ass. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. Oh boy. So, yeah. Uh, uh. Those are those lyrics are a little different than I remembered. The somebody wants to, I'm gonna kick your ass, you pussy. <laughs> Same day, we actually lost another classic in the world of rock and roll, which was Gary Wright from well, he was in Spooky Tooth, but he had his own music, the Dreamweaver guy. I knew somebody who knew Gary Wright, is a comedian who said that he was starting his own podcast studio and recording studio. He's like, I'll say, the guy's name is Chuck Booms. And Chuck Booms, like, Town. I gotta tell you, I, uh, you know, I'm trying to get a studio together in one of my spare rooms, and I got Gary Wright, he's gonna come over, and he's gonna, he's a longtime friend of mine, he's gonna deck out the place. Like, Gary Wright, the Dreamweaver, the man who, at this time, was probably in his early 70s, you're gonna say that Gary Wright is gonna come over here and create a soundproof studio in your spare bedroom in Euclid, Ohio. I don't think that's going to happen. He actually re-recorded that uh, Dreamweaver clip for Wayne's World when that came out back in 1992. So yeah, Gary Wright, 80 years old. September 25th, we lost David McCallum uh, at 90 from the, the man from Uncle NCIS. Uh, the next day on September 26th, Brooks Robinson, 86 years old. We lost him. by Robinson. Look at that. Great day in the morning. What a play. Well, he does it in big games. For Baltimoreans, the third baseman, Brooks Robinson. And the rest of baseball agrees. Brooks Robinson, the man with a magic mitt and great hands. 16 gold gloves. I think Greg Maddox had like 18 or whatever as a pitcher, but I mean, Brooks Robinson, you couldn't get the ball by him. And uh, you think about the greatest third baseman. You talk about he's probably the greatest overall third baseman, maybe next to Mike Schmidt. Brooks Robinson could hit for average, but he, and he had some pop in his bat too, one World Series. But him, Mike Schmidt, I don't know. You think of some of the great third basemen. I know it's a current example, but Nolan Arenado has won a gold glove every single year of his career and has been an all-star and has put up a lot of great stats. So uh, I think he may be very close, but I don't think anyone comes close as far as defensively to Brooks Robinson and those uh, 16 gold gloves. That was from the 1970 World Series where he's robbing Lee May down the line. And he's like, oh, he's almost in the dugout and he's throwing the ball out and throwing Lee May, who was actually a, a pretty fast guy down the, uh, back in his day. September 28th at 90, the former, uh, the senator and former mayor of San Francisco, Diane Feinstein, had passed away. 
and uh, she had not been doing very well. She was almost like a corpse in the set at her final couple of years, but this is a classic clip. There are a bunch of kids that, uh, with their, with mom, who stormed inside to talk about trying to pass the Green New Deal, and boy, does she give it to these kids. This is a classic, classic clip. trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Please. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and you know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. Boy, I mean, that mom who just indoctrinates these kids into going up into a senator's office to try to pass some some Green New Deal. And, uh, and then, yeah, she claps back and says, mm, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, you don't come into my office. I was like, look, I... I probably disagreed with uh, Dianne Feinstein on 99.9% of her political positions and platforms, but uh, that was a great, that was a brilliant smackdown of those kids. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get through some of these. Um, let's see, October 1st, Tim Wakefield, the knuckleballer extraordinaire at 57. He had, uh, I think he had... Kurt Schilling had leaked something, and Tim Wakefield's uh, widow was really pissed off about Or no, no, it was Jason Veritek's uh, wife was really upset that Kurt Schilling would go on and uh, talk about, spill the beans, but I guess he had had brain cancer or a tumor or something, and uh, yeah, uh, Tim Wakefield, who was a former infielder, he was a former ball player, and he couldn't throw hard enough to be a pitcher, so he became a knuckleballer in the minor leagues, had a great 1992, the the um, uh, the playoffs, what I mentioned with um, Deion Sanders earlier against the Braves, he was brilliant, he pitched two complete games, he threw like 150 pitches in both games, would have been the NLCS MVP had the Pirates been able to put away in Sid Bream scoring in 92 in, the, in Game 7. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he would throw. There's a classic clip of him striking out Jeff Blauser, where he throws the the knuckleball, and it doesn't rotate. It just stays, and it's in slow motion. It's one of the classic. I know I've said classic a lot on this podcast. That's why I'm doing this. But one of the great baseball clips of how to throw a perfect knuckleball. And they reinvented his career uh, when he got cut by the. The, the Braves and went over to the Red Sox, was almost a Cy Young Award winner. And then he, uh, yeah, then he, he, he was a closer for a little bit and then became a starter again. So Tim Wakefield, 57. Dick Butkus, he was in all the football, he, obviously the great football player, but in a lot of the football movies, he was in Don, Johnny Dangerously. 
Um, yeah, the Chicago Bear had a falling out with Papa Bear, George Hallis, back in the 70s, but I think they rekindled before he ended up dying. But, well, Hallis dying. Hallis died in the early 80s. But, uh, yeah, Butkus was everywhere, and he had a great personality. There's a classic tweet that somebody said that uh, I, like, I, <clears throat> you almost murdered my grandfather on the football field, and Dick Butkus responded, he probably deserved it. <laughs> just classic, just wonderful. Um, I'll just speed through a bunch of these. Uh, October 15th, Suzanne Summers at 77. Um, uh, Richard Roundtree, we lost her, lost him at 81 on, uh, on October 24th. And then the big one that you're probably going to see in a lot of lists at the end of the year is Matthew Perry on October 28th. Only 54 played pickleball and then he went into his hot tub. At least that's the story we had heard. And his assist, his assistant said that they had found him in his hot tub, that they didn't really suspect any foul play or anything. But here's, a here's a weird clip that I had seen from, uh, uh, w- about Matthew Perry, that he was he was trying to convert to, uh, or he was talking about his first time he was ever praying, and he said the first time he had ever prayed was when he got the friend's job. Famous, because that would solve everything, and you you it's not lost in you that almost ten years to the day later you were on your knees again, saying God please don't let me die. And I just want to know what was happening in the first prayer and what was going on during the second prayer, because that's sort of a span of Well, what was interesting, the, the first time I prayed, and it was the first time, um, it was like a, a prayer of like a 14-year-old, and I was 24, something like that. And I just read that some celebrity, I don't remember, who was in trouble, and I thought to myself, he doesn't care, he's famous. What difference does, he, difference does that make? He's famous, he has it all. And then I knelt down and said, God, you can do whatever you want to me, just please make me famous. And two weeks later, I got friends, and God didn't forget about the first part of it. <laughs> hmm, what do I want to do to him? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of Faustian bargain. Very that I bad made. disease at yeah. the same time. And uh, then deep into addiction, there was a more, much more real prayer, you know, to save my life. You know, and that was answered as well. Yeah, so 54 for Matthew Perry, and uh, I, I, I hope when it comes to, I mean, he had had that long drug addiction, and I think if you were to ask anybody it 20 years ago, who would be the first person that's probably going to die from the show? I think everybody, including Matthew Perry, would say Matthew Perry. And I hope he was able to get it under control towards the end. It's just, you know, you, you, you just can't do that to your body for all those years, for decades, to just treat yourself like that. But I hope he was able to find God and truthfully, like not not just he prayed and he got that one thing and then he forgot about it and said, hail Satan afterward. Nah. <laughs> I, I hope he was, he he kept everything together and was able to, uh, to, uh, Know, come to grips with his with his faith at the end. Uh, Frank Howard died on October 30th at 87. One of the largest human beings to ever play baseball. At least a non-pitcher. I think only Richie Sexton may have been the non tallest non-pitcher to play the game. Uh, Frank Howard Hondo was just uh, just a presence. Not a Hall of Famer, but a presence. And then he had a long time coaching for the Mets and the Yankees and. 
finish up with the, of all places, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. November 1st, Bobby Knight. Great Bobby Knight at 83. Fred Jasper's now chasing Bobby Knight back to his chair. And he's we got, got him right there. There's the tee. Technical against the bench and against Bob Knight. Steve Reed, an excellent free throw shooter, will have the honor of shooting the technicals. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair clear across the free throw lane. I got a chance to talk to Bobby Knight years ago, and he was. It's weird because you see that clip and you hear that clip of him throwing the chair, which, by the way, called by Lanny Frateri, the longtime Pittsburgh Pirate announcer. Um, who he didn't get renewed by the Pirates. I wonder why. If you DM me, I'll tell you the story why he didn't get uh, renewed. Very interesting. But uh, Bobby Knight was actually a very interesting guy. Just like a lot of these coaches, they're very philosophical. Bill Belichick is kind of the same way, too, where you get this one impression of a coach, and you stick with it. And then when they bring something up, philosophy or how they do certain things, and you're surprised by it, and you say, well, why should I be surprised? It's Bobby Knight. He's a classic coach. He's uh, uh, he's legendary. He's legendary, and there's, there's a reason for it. And putting Indiana hoops, keeping them on the map. You actually won a championship with the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes back in the early 60s. Uh, former First Lady Rosalind Carter at 96 on November 19th. November 28th, Henry Kissinger. And it, it's weird the response to Henry Kissinger's death because both sides of the political aisle have come out against him and said that he's probably burning in hell somewhere. And I, I don't think that's not without merit. I think uh, Anthony Bourdain had famously come out and said that uh, he, he'll be burning in hell based on what he did in Cambodia. And Republicans have come out and said that Henry Kissinger is the reason for a lot of this military interventionism and as opposed to the more isolationist policies of more new and dissident right and libertarian philosophy. Um, and it kind of opened things up. But people forget about how popular Richard Nixon and, by proxy, Henry Kissinger were in the early 70s. There wasn't a more in modern times popular president than Richard Nixon. He won 49 of 50 states, and Henry Kissinger was on talk shows, on game shows. He was all over the place. It's weird how reviled they both have become in the subsequent decades, but boy, it's it's a, it's an odd litmus test that both sides are not big Kissinger fans by today's standards. December 1st, Sandra Day O'Connor. She had uh, uh, died at 93, Supreme Court Justice, former. Um, uh, actually, you know, I said I'm going to do these in chronological order, but I want to end on Norman Lear because there's a couple others since then. Of course, I mentioned December 6th, Ralph from Howard Stern. December 8th, Ryan O'Neill at 82, uh, Paper Moon, and who was very jealous that Tatum won the Oscar, not him. Frank Wycheck. This is surprising. I saw this one over the weekend. 
uh, on on uh, December 9th. Frank Wycheck, 52 years old. He was a tight end for the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Oilers slash Tennessee Titans and played with the team once known as the Washington Redskins early on. And Frank Wycheck was the he was a three-time Pro Bowler on those great years with uh, with Steve McNair, Eddie George, and there was the Music City Miracle, which uh, I think everybody should remember what happened on this play that I'm going to play right now. 16 seconds to play. The Bills have taken a 16 to 15 lead on the Tennessee Titans. Taken by Neal, he gives it to Watson. So Frank Wycheck was the kind of one of the ringleaders of that. Uh, Lorenzo Neal, who was a fullback, fielded the kickoff by uh, the, the Bills, who were on their way to winning that game. That was the I think that was the Doug Flutie, or no, that might have been Brad uh, or uh, Rob Johnson. And Lorenzo Neal picks it up, he hands it to Frank Wycheck, and they had practiced this play where he's going to throw it a, a, a lateral across the field. Wycheck takes it, throws it to Kevin Dyson. Dyson takes it up the field for the touchdown. At the time, I, I mean, it would still, if this happened over the weekend on a Sunday, they'd still be scrutinizing this play, kind of the way that Patrick Mahomes is complaining about the uh, the the Tony uh, <laughs> offsides penalty, saying it was the worst call he's ever seen. Shut up. Enough of him. But um, it, it, was, it was amazing because, Sports Science has looked at the Frank Wycheck Music City Miracle lateral to Kevin Dyson, and they said it was a perfect lateral. It didn't. It wasn't a forward pass. It was not backward. It was on an a, a full on plane right on the line. And if anything, Dyson may actually be kind of whether he's acting, but he's bringing the ball back a little bit to make it seem like it might be a lateral. But they have shown it that it was on a perfect line. So Frank Wycheck was the first interview in my radio career that I ever had booked and talked to on the air when I was a producer and a host. This was when I was 19 years old. And I got Frank Wycheck's number and I talked to him at we were breaking down the how the Titans were going to be that season because he was a broadcaster for the Titans. I said, one last thing I got to ask you. I asked you about the Music City Miracle. I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing about it. And he said, are you kidding me? I will talk about that until I'm blue in the face. I it's Why wouldn't I love talking about it? So any time that I had talked to Frank Wycheck, there would be some kind of Music City Miracle anniversary or whatever, and he would love talking about it. And I actually got to talk to him and get to know him a little bit off the air too, and it, it, it sucks. Apparently, he I, it's not that I lost touch with him, but I just haven't talked to him in, you know, since I've been doing radio. And I didn't realize he had been out of radio and doing the broadcasting for a couple of years because of his issues with headaches and CTE. And I, he had a fall in his home. He was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he had a fall in his home, and that's how he died. 
So ugh, just brutal. Absolutely brutal. Frank Wycheck at 52. Just that's it, man. Um, sucks because he really was a nice guy. Um, the final one I'll mention, I'm going to go back because that was December 9th. Let's go back to December 5th is Norman Lear. There's a rumor I saw that when he turned 100, he turned Catholic. Uh, I don't, I don't know. That was just a rumor that I had heard, but of course everybody knows who Norman Lear is and he had moved to Los Angeles and he started writing for Martin and Lewis. I think he was writing for Rowan and Martin as well, but not the same Martin. And he was, I think he used to write for the Colgate Comedy Hour and maybe the Hollywood Palace. I, I, I don't remember. There was a lot of those shows, those variety shows back in the day. But then he was able to pitch these shows like All in the Family, The Jeffersons. Um, you know, I mean, Norman Lear's career just, you think about the 1970s, he is the 70s. You think about all of those shows that came out in those days, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, Jeffersons. One Day at a Time, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, uh, Fernwood Tonight, which was the spinoff of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Different Strokes he helped create. Um, it, uh, like there were there were others that weren't as popular, but I would say if you're going to talk about the main ones, it's all in the family, Sanford and Son, Maude and Good Times, and the Jeffersons. And what's interesting is about All in the Family that I, I I've heard this on good authority, even though some will deny it. But I think the popularity with All in the Family came about because uh, people, they looked at Archie Bunker as representative of their father. And even though Norman Lear was not a baby boomer, he was well into his, I think he was almost 50 at this time, but he had a team of younger boomer writers like Rob Reiner, like others on the show, that hated their dads, that came from this backwards generation and they're like, ah, nah, you know, dad, dad's a bigot. And I believe that All in the Family was supposed to be created so that you would be more sympathetic to Mike and Gloria, Meathead, that Mike and Gloria would be the counterculture hippies and that here you have dad who's this bigot who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. But it kind of backfired for them because people really liked Archie Bunker. Because even if you did think your dad, by early 1970s standards, the world's changing around him, he might be bigoted, but you still loved your father. It's not like nowadays where if your dad voted for Trump, you don't talk to him anymore. Or if your dad didn't think January 6th was the worst day in the history of the, the world, that you stopped talking to your father. Or if your dad wasn't vaccinated. That's nowadays. So even in those days, you can be this dirty hippie, but still have a good relationship or still love your father, still respect your father. And I think that's what backfired because America kind of looked at Mike and Gloria as a bunch of clowns and they liked Archie. So uh, it's just, it reminded them. And I, I just thought that was fascinating. And of course they'll, they'll come back and say, no, that was our goal. I don't think that was their goal. I think that show, which was taken off of a British show and originally was recruited, Mickey Rooney, there was a rumor that Mickey Rooney really wanted that show or, or that they were going to cast him, but they ended up finding Carol O'Connor. It, it was perfect. And Carol O'Connor had a very complicated relationship with that character and with the show. Because as much as everyone liked the show, 
he didn't want to be known as the, the racist guy, the, the bigoted guy. He's like, oh, no, I'm just I'm a Hollywood liberal. I don't talk that way. There's a difference between separating the art from the artist. And I am Carol O'Connor, who's a stage man and an actor and everything. And that's Archie Bunker, who is a character. But weirdly enough, when All in the Family ran its course, who was the only person who continued that character? It was Carol O'Connor <laughs> having Archie Bunker's place, which was not very good. It was... It, it was missing something. It was missing the soul of the show. And the sh they killed off Edith, for God's sake. But uh, there was no Mike. Gloria had her own show. And Maude was a spinoff, which Maude was, Maud was okay for its time. And the Jeffersons, I didn't realize the Jeffersons lasted until the mid-80s. And then Sherman ended up moving out to, uh, he was out in, uh, I think it was in like El Paso, Texas. But I wanted to play a couple of funny clips from all in the family, and since I'm just doing the fun podcast here, here he is, uh, here's Archie. This was a classic episode where he actually dyed his hair because he thought he was, he was trying to go for a job against a woman who also had gray hair, so he's like, well, if I just look younger, then I'd be able to get this job. Thinking that she's going to get that job over me with all that gray hair of hers? Well, she just might get the job, Arch. You know, nowadays the government is pressuring companies into hiring more women in executive positions. I know, I know it's a crime against nature. Women was created for two things, making meals and babies. Oh, boy. There you go again with the 19th century thinking of yours. Well, it's true. Look at your cave women. Why do you think your cave women was created with short legs and fat butts? <laughs> I don't know, Arch, but I'm sure you got a good answer. <laughs> so they couldn't run fast, so the men could catch him and force them to make the meals in the baby. <laughs> well, weren't there any cave women with long legs and skinny butts that could run faster than the men? Well, them, the men would have to bring down with a rock. <laughs> now I'm starting to catch on. And what about the cave men with the... Uh, Short legs and fat butts that couldn't catch any women. Well, they was probably your first fags. <laughs> it was on network television. <laughs> I mean, come on. How was that not funny? How was that? Not, and here, here's another clip of him uh, talking, making Chinese jokes. <laughs> when they sneeze. <laughs> Who's daddy? The Chinese. I mean, do they say God bless you or Buddha bless you? You really want to know? The chinks just sneeze and say nothing. They can't speak English. Why couldn't they say Buddha bless you in Chinese? Because they don't say that. That's why. They say, uh, well, they say anything at all, it's sayonara. That's Japanese. Same thing. It's not the same thing. What are you talking about? You put a Jap and a chink together, you're going to tell me which is which? That's right, because I find out about them. I talk to them as individuals. Sure, you talk to them. You say, which one of you guys is the chink? I don't believe it. It's making me crazy. No. Michael, ignore him. Shouldn't we be getting ready? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. 
Yes, it's hilarious. It's it's playing on the stereotypes. It's playing on all of that. This is why you can't have an all in the family in 20. It, as much as they've tried that. Didn't they try that with uh, William Shatner? They did the shit my dad says, which was a Tumblr and a bunch of posts where it's like, oh, my old man, he says silly things. And let's get William Shatner. Let's get, let's get Captain Kirk to do a show where he's like a bigoted guy. That it just it, it was missing. It was lacking a lot. And Archie brought a lot to that character. Or, I mean, uh, Carol Connor brought a lot to that character of Archie. And, I mean, you know, Norman Lear. <clears throat> the other thing with those Norman Lear shows is it also backfired. Because even though by today's standards they are considered legendary shows, legendary TV programs, there was a big backlash at the time with CBS and Fred Silverman that Fred Silverman came in there and said, uh, yeah, we got to get rid of these rural shows. We can't, we can't have sheep and goats and farms and pitchforks at all. We need socially conscious shows. So within a year, they had canceled Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies. Shows that were very popular. Uh, even Gomer Pyle, he's in the Marine Corps, yet doesn't mention anything about being about Vietnam, which was the war going on at the time. And the way the networks were in the, the 60s, was people needed distraction from the problems with real life. And by the 70s, we decided, no, we need to be reminded of real life all the time, which is what happens, which is why we see in Disney shows today and everything, that we need to be constantly reminded of what goes on. Same with sports. We need It takes all of us. End racism. Love is love. Black Lives Matter. All of these this political messaging on in sports arenas. We don't need that. People wanted to go to sports for a diversion, which is what we did in TV. Well, by the 70s, they decided to cancel all of those rural shows and just have a bunch of socially conscious ones. Well, eventually, there was enough of a backlash that they created another show, which was called The Waltons. And The Waltons, which was a rural show, shot up to number one because people like westerns and they like stuff like Little House on the Prairie and they like rural America, because people identified with it a lot more than they would of a family living in Chicago or Queens or whatever. But I don't know. Just thought that was kind of interesting. The golden age of TV from the 60s into the 70s. And we're kind of seeing it now. And a lot of that thanks to Norman Lear, who was one of the first inductees into the TV Hall of Fame. Lost Norman at 101 years old. Well, I feel like I'm 101 after doing this podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, we, boy, how many people did we lose that was that were o- almost or over 90? Let me look at this list just one more time as I wrap it up. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, Burt Bacharach, 94. We had Robert Blake, 89. Bud Grant, 95. Al Jaffe, 102. Harry Belafonte, 96. Um... Pat Robertson, 93, Alan Arkin, 89, Tony Bennett, 96, Bob Barker, 99, good Lord, David McCallum, 90, Diane Feinstein, 90, um, yeah, goodness gracious, Rosalind Carter, 96, Henry Kissinger, 100, Sandra Day O'Connor, 93, and Norman Lear at 101. We lost a lot of people, and who replaces them, people? Who replaces a Norman Lear? Who replaces a Tina Turner in our society? Who replaces Smash Mouth Guy? 
who replaces Tony Bennett, one of the only crooners that my generation actually attached to, why Lady Gaga is singing with him, who replaces them, TikTokers, is it uh, uh, EDM artists, is it uh, who, what garbage, it's a lot of it's just garbage, so uh, you may not have been a fan of the people that I've mentioned, and I may not be a fan of everybody that I mentioned, I, didn't wa- I probably watched one Treat Williams movie in my whole life, but who replaces that? Mm, probably somebody less talented, less good, less cultured, and it just continues to get worse. So that's why I mentioned these celebrity deaths here on this podcast of Celebrity Deaths wrapping up 2023. Stay tuned for next week's episode. I go through the year in sports and the week after, right after Christmas on the, what is that, the 27th. That will be the big big news one that I will do, where I talk about the biggest news stories coming out of 2023, and there have been a bunch of whoppers to get to. I thank everybody for listening to the Check Your Brain podcast, and again, I'll be back with that sports podcast coming up next week, next Wednesday, and if you want more episodes like this, go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. Good night, or good day, depending on when you're listening. Bye, everyone.